0: Dear God, I remember the moment you called me to stand up against the stigma of mental illness. The day I looked beyond my son's condition, beyond my heartache, and accept the calling of being a voice for people like my son and parents like me. It started with the song I wrote for him that you placed in my heart. I ended up using it as a means of advocacy, not just to bring awareness to mental illness, but to share the message that our hope lies in you. At first I struggled to release the song because I knew people would ask me what the song was about and who I wrote it for. I would put myself in a very vulnerable and uncomfortable position. My biggest fear was that I was not equipped to represent you. Who am I to talk about hope and faith when so many times I feel hopeless and my faith is constantly being tested But through these trials and self doubt, somehow I found the strength to take on the challenge. Through Jason's psychotic episodes and his feelings that you've abandoned him, you've given me the words to say to him so he feels your love through me. Listening and seeing others go through the same heartache and struggles. As a parent and caregiver, I found the purpose of why Jason is my son and I his father. You placed in my heart the desire to help others and to show and share to them how you see me through some of the most difficult and knee-bending times of my life. I ask that you continue to see me through my heartaches and challenges, that even through my uncertainty and self-doubt, that I may step up to help others so I may be that servant that you called me to be.
1: This morning we close our Esther series. Have you guys been here for our Esther series? You experienced some of it? We've got yes, we've got a lot of great, uh, you can clap, you can clap. I'm hoping what you're clapping for is what I'm about to say, which is that I've had a lot of conversations uh, with people in our church these last four weeks who have really resonated with this idea of stepping into a place that needs change and being used by God to be a change agent there, like we see Esther in the book of Esther. This morning, as we close our series, we take a different look at the book itself and say, well, what if you, as an individual, what if you're not called to be the change agent in the place where you are planted, but maybe... God is calling you to be an advocate for someone else who's called to be a change agent, someone who needs support, someone who needs encouragement, someone who needs to be loved by you, right? Maybe you're not Esther, maybe you're Mordecai in the story. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at the book of Esther through the angle of Mordecai's role as an advocate for the primary change agent to say, how can we step into a lifestyle where we are not just changing the world, but we're partnering and exploring ways that we can connect with others as they change the world as well. And to do that this morning, we've got a guest speaker that I'm so excited to introduce to you. His name is James Westbrook, and he is planting a church down the street in Oakland uh, just next month. And so I told James, hey, before your church starts meeting every Sunday, just come and share with our church. We'd love to have you teach the word for us. James is a good friend of mine. He's been here in the Bay for about a year since... God called him and his wife Desiree and their two kids to fly across the country and put down some roots here. Uh, he was here for a while with Desiree and the kids as they finished grad school in Marin County at uh, Gateway Seminary there. He did some work at Southern Seminary in Louisville and then finished off at Gateway Seminary with his master's degree. And he's been serving the Lord of Ministry for a long, long time. Uh, they are great people. And I do feel like I need to tell you that we vet our speakers very carefully. Primarily on their humility. And so I took James on a test a few weeks back. I was invited by some pastors to go play golf. And I don't know if you know me, this is funny. I am not a golfer at all. Um, And so I'm embarrassed to go stay with all these other people that I don't know very well. So I called James and said, you gotta come with me. And he said, yes. And so he came out and he's as bad a golfer as I am. (laughs) And he's hacking the ball all around the court, right? Of course, see? And everyone's like looking at us and we're just having a good time talking, whatever. And so uh, he didn't swear, he didn't cuss, he didn't break a club over his knees. Like, this is a man of God. And so this is... <laughs> so you have a special treat this morning hearing uh, James speak on Mordecai in the book of Esther. Well, good morning, Three Crosses. Good morning. Good morning, Three Crosses. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here with
2: y'all this morning. This is the church that we've been driving past for the past year, looking up saying, man, what do they do in there off the highway <laughs> as we're dropping our kids off at Redwood uh, Christian School. And uh, we we're so encouraged when we step up into this place, said, man, these are people that are serious about the mission of God. When we went to your ministry out there, we see all these cards and all of this ministry activity all over the world. I'm like, man, how do they keep up with all this? I am encouraged, and uh, y'all don't, most of y'all already know, y'all got some Oakland roots, you know that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right, yeah. Y'all yeah, started in Oakland, and then the Lord uh, moved in Castro Valley, and, and so hopefully uh, you guys have touched the ground there, anointed the ground there, and uh, hopefully I can get some of that anointing as we get ready to plant this church in the East Lake community. Well, I've been really encouraged by this series. The series in the book of Esther is such a great book and a great reminder to us that God does call us sometimes to speak truth where truth needs to be spoken. That God does raise us up for such a time as this to do things in our life that sometimes is uncomfortable but necessary. Having those courageous conversations, talking in, in in our work environments, the places that God has planted us to advance his kingdom in the world whether that be in our home and having those hard conversations with parents and parents with our children, whether that be at the school or in the marketplace, wherever it is, God can use his people mightily if we will just be obedient and courageous enough. But as Danny set us up already, we, we, we see today that, look, maybe you're not the primary change agent. Maybe there's something that the Lord is calling you to in your life where you're not the primary change agent, but you are a catalyst for courage in your life. Maybe you're there for someone else. That sounds very familiar to Christian doctrine. That maybe God does not just simply put, here, put us here just simply for our victories, our battles, but he puts us here on, uh, for the behalf, or on behalf of one another, that we may encourage one another in the work of the ministry. Amen. And we're going to see that today. It's a fun activity reading the book of Esther and looking at Mordecai, and you see how much he's actually playing a vivid role through the work of the Spirit. God is using him as a catalyst for courage in that book. See, you might not be this guy right here. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's the homie. That's my boy Frodo. You, you, you might not be Frodo. Frodo is the primary change agent. It is his, his responsibility to be the ring bearer to get this thing done. All right, so, but, but maybe that's not what God's calling you to in any given situation in life. Hopefully, you're not this guy. Yeah, yeah, we might need to see a dermatologist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, but, but maybe, I love that expression, uh, but maybe God has called you to be this guy, yeah. Maybe God has called you to be, Sam, listen, I can't carry the ring for you. I'm not called to be the primary agent. I'm not in position. I'm not in power, but I do see the problem with you, and I'm going to walk with you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to carry you as much as I can in partnering in this issue, partnering in this ministry. And God has, I think, a word for us regarding how he has called us to be countless. And we see this all over the New Testament. This is not a, a, an idea that we're just coming up with, trying to be cool here. No, this is rooted in the New Testament. We see this in two, a combination of two scriptures. And there's certainly much more than this, but at the very least, we see this. We see it in Ephesians 2.10 and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Hebrews 10, uh, 2.10, you heard it last week. What does it say? For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That what? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. There are good works that God has created for all of us to do, and this church knows as they live life on mission, uh, this church knows that it's not just the pastor, it's not just the professionals, it's not just, just us that, who stand in the spotlight, but all of us have been given gifts that the Lord has lavished upon the church that we were going to talk about later today. All of us have been dispatched by the, by, the, uh, by the Spirit of God to do work for those who are actually in the church. See, God has gifted us and He's called us into good works and He's called us to work. And the beauty about that is that you don't even have to make up the good work. God has already prepared it for you. And all you have to do is be obedient and walk into the good work. Well, how will I know? Well, you're going to be doing the good work. And that's how you know. It just kind of comes upon you. But the other scripture is going to be Hebrews chapter 10. This idea of spurring one another on. We see this in let us consider how we may spare one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider, let us contemplate, let us reason and think about how we may be able to spur, how we may be able to encourage, how we may be able to catalyze one another unto love and good deeds. When we ask the question, Lord, how will you use me, and and, and what's your calling on my life? We have a very basic one right here. This is low-hanging fruit for us right here. That God has called us, in the very least, to encourage one another and to think about ways that we can catalyze one another to be change agents in their life. And so we're going to talk about that today as we look at Mordecai. uh, There are some very encouraging things that we can see today regarding how we may be able to be catalysts in this world, in God's kingdom. And the first thing I want us to look at, we have three basic points here. The first one I want us to see is the catalyst in their distress. The catalyst in their distress, we see this in um, Esther chapter four, and let's pick up in chapter four, uh, verse four. We see that when Mordecai learned all that had been done in ashes. Well, we've been hearing the story all week. What in the world is going on? What's happening at this point in the story where it will cause this brother to, to be just filled with distress and filled with such cry and, and bitter cries? Well, he, was just, he just received a notice from a person named Haman, I'm, excuse me, from the decree through the, the, the vicious work of a person named Haman. And Haman says, that, listen, I want to destroy what we know as the people of God, but he says, I want to destroy the Jews. And he convinced the king of Persia to destroy the Jews, convincing him in lying, saying that they are causing all type of problems in the land. They do not uh, obey the rules here. Let's take them out. Mordecai is Jewish. Esther is Jewish. This has major implications on them, and he's filled with this distress. And it's not just just any type of distress, he's inconsolable. We see that he's inconsolable when we we read uh, his reaction to being consoled with his niece, Esther. It says that when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, she herself was distressed, but she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. No, this thing that I'm experiencing in this life, I I cannot be consoled. I am so, and this is spiritual depression, emotional depression going on here. And there's something that we can learn from this. But I think at the very least, there are two reasons as to why he's experiencing this type of distress. There's obviously obvious reasons here, but we see that there is evil happening in his society. Part one, there's evil happening before him. The other reason is that he can't do anything about it. He can't, he's not the primary change agent. He doesn't have the king's ear. That's enough to frustrate anyone deeply and, and cause a person to sense a, of this thing of hopelessness. What's the role of the catalyst even in that situation? See, he's the catalyst and he feels it firsthand. But there's gonna be people in your life, there's gonna be people around you that are gonna experience this type of pain and this type of distress by looking at the things that's going on all around them in this society even today. There are people that are experiencing all type of distress as they look at all the things that's happening. When I even in within my neighborhood, when I look at women who are just enslaved to this industry of selling flesh, there's going to be people that say, that, listen, it doesn't just cause me just uh, uncomfortability. It breaks my heart, and I cannot be consoled on this thing. I, I'm leaving my heart, and I'm leaving it out there, and, I, and people need to see that this is I'm, I'm broken in this area. Lord knows that we have so many areas that goes around. uh, There's enough to go around in this world when we look at poverty and when we we look at uh, different issues regarding uh, homelessness or it could be uh, immigrants coming over and feeling this deep sense of loneliness and a sense of desiring home. And and some of us, we're going to come into contact with these issues and it's going to cause great distress for us. See, it's not the job of the catalyst to say, here we go again. It's not the job of the catalyst to say that well, undermine the distress of the person that they're trying to catalyze and say that why are you always crying about that issue? See, it's the job of the catalyst that provide some oxygen to the fire and to say that listen, uh, I, I want to at least share in the distress as much as I can. See, scripture tells us that we care and we bear one another's burdens. It says that we bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters and, and we see that the catalyst and the encourager in this life is going to say that, listen, I don't know why this continues to come up in your life. I don't know why this hits you to the core so deeply, but what I do know is that it's causing you to great distress and maybe God is putting, there, uh, putting it there because he wants you to do something about it. See, maybe God is causing this and staring this within you because he doesn't want you to rest. He doesn't want you to be consoled. And so the catalyst can go and say that, I want to bear your burden. How can I stand in the gap? How can I be praying for you? How can I partner with you? How can I spur you on into this thing that you're filling, the thing that you're experiencing that won't let go of you? See, the catalyst has to play the role of the encourager in that role. That's one way. But I think a, a very specific way that we can see ourselves as catalysts and encouragers to one another is by our second point is by giving voice helping them give voice to their distress. And we see this, in Mordecai used this over and over again. Let's pick up in verse 13 of chapter 4, the catalyst in their voice. It says, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom. There's the famous line. For such a time as this. It's a very interesting thing once again to read the book of Esther and read Mordecai. You see over and over again how God is using him in these very pivotal roles. And he's using his voice. He's using his voice over and over again to to. to deal with and to provide counsel for this crisis that they're facing and the way that he uses this in this story here is that he provides counsel over and over again to his niece he's providing counsel we see it as early on in chapter two we see it early on before he even deals with the crisis before the crisis even gets there he's playing a role of being a a cupbearer if you will in the life of his niece in chapter 2, verse 10, he tells his niece to, hey, don't tell the uh, Persians, don't tell the Persian court that you're Jewish. Now, when I see Mordecai in heaven, I'm like, hey, that only works for some of us, brother. <laughs> this thing is permanent. I can hide this thing. <laughs> what would you have done, Cenarius? What would you have done if it was me, Mordecai? <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. He's providing counsel to her early on. But you see him providing counsel even once the crisis hits. He's spilling his heart before his, uh, the servants of Esther. We see, that, uh, we see that here in our next verse. Wow, well, I read this for a We see this uh, uh, when we read our verse. We saw that uh, he's going to tell the queen's servants that, hey, um, you need to make sure that she knows this. I'm going to give her some counsel and tell her that this is what she needs to do. She needs to go before the king. She needs to stand before the king and go before him. See, he's providing counsel, and he's going to do this primarily in two ways. He's going to do this by providing truth and by providing direction. See, the catalysts we can provide truth and directions. We may not have all the issues. We may not feel it the same way that the person is feeling it as they are dealing with distresses in their life, whether it be at the home level, whether it be in the societal level, whether it be whatever it may be at the school. We may not be able to experience it the way that they are experiencing it, but we can provide truth and wisdom, and direction. So, as much as God gives it to us, how does He provide truth? He provides truth by giving her something very hard. See, the role of the catalyst is not to simply say things that always feels good. The role of the catalyst is to say th- the things that needs to be said in order for the person to be successful and faithful into whatever God is calling them to do. Did you catch what He said? He said, listen, I'm going to tell you right now that that if you don't rise to the occasion, if you don't do what God is calling you to do, God will get it done. He's going to do it from somewhere else. He's going to raise up a foreign power. The Lord is going to be faithful to his people. But if you don't do it, it can be harmful for you. He's going to give her truth. You, you have to do something with this thing that you're filling. You have to do the hard work of asking the questions, Lord, why have you given me this burden? You have to do the hard work and say that look, maybe the Lord is calling you into more courage than ever than you've ever had to display in your life. More faith. But the, count, the catalyst provides truth. We can provide truth to one another, but he also provides direction. I don't know. When I read the story and I'm reading all chapter chapters, I ask the question, Lord, could she have done uh, what she did without the counsel of her uncle? Well, the easy answer to that is that that's not the way that God designed it. No. God put her, God put Mordecai in her life that she may know exactly how to deal with this issue with tact and wisdom. What does he tell her to do? Hey, you have to go before the king. We know that the Persian law said that if you go before the king without being summoned, then you can actually die. You can perish unless the king extends his golden scepter. He says, listen, I I know that that's going to be difficult for you to do. I know that that's going to cause, require some faith in you. But sister, you have to do what God has called you to do and you trust the results to God. He's providing her with some wisdom and with some direction. And this is the way that the Spirit uses his people every single day. We provide voice to one another. When we're asking the question, Lord, how will you use me? What is your calling on my life? This is a very low-hanging fruit, very basic way that the Lord uses us every single day. God says that I'm giving you a voice that you may speak into the life of those around you. And this is exactly how he uses Mordecai. I love this, this, uh, this quote by this theologian named Abraham Kuyper when he's talking about when we're looking at people in their distress and we're looking at people when God is giving them calling and God has given us voice. This is something that we can actually tell our people as they are wrestling with the thing that God is giving them says that, listen, if, if someone is wrestling with this thing and they are standing on the fence and they're playing with this thing that God is giving them and, and maybe you're the person here that said, that, hey, I've been struggling and I've been thinking through, I've been birthing this ministry, I've been whatever it's been, this thing has been going in my mind for a long time, but you haven't done anything with it and it's still burdening you. Maybe you should hear this quote here. And we can certainly say this quote here to those that we are advocating for. Kuiper says this, He says, when principles run against your deepest convictions, begin to win the day. When principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then battle is your calling. And peace has become sin. You must, at the price of dearest peace, lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy with all the fire of your faith. We are the battle cry for those who are around us to say that, hey, this is not the time to be peaceful. This is not the time to just sit on your hands. This is a time to say that, hey, you have to act, and I'm going to do some research for you. I'm going to do some groundwork for you. I'm going to go to Wikipedia on your behalf. We're going to do some research on this thing. I'm going to go to the pastor. I'm going to give you some wisdom. I'm going to do whatever I have to do, even if that means I'm going to take a call at midnight to say that, hey, you struggling with this thing again, huh? I'm going to provide, I'm going to stand in the gap, and I'm going to provide my voice to be able to be a catalyst in your life. We need that. And we're going to see, even in our next point, why this is so necessary for us to be that for one another. And we see that in the fact that, listen, the catalyst is a part of the story. The catalyst is a part of the story because it's necessary that the catalyst be a part of the story. Let's read this in chapter 8. And uh, picking up in
0: verse
2: one, it says that on that day King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what was what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Over and over again, we see that. Mordecai is a part of this story. It's not just Esther that's a part of the story. Mordecai is going to be mentioned more and more and more, even though he's not the primary change agent. He's the catalyst. When we operate as catalysts in one another's lives, we are a part of the story, and we need each other to be a part of one another's story. When you read the Scripture, you read 1 Corinthians 12. Have you seen it? When you read Romans 12, When you read Ephesians 5, you see that the Lord is literally lavishing the church with gifts, gifts upon gifts upon gifts of inexhaustible lists that God is saying that I have given the church and I have supplied the church with so much. I've given them this for the work of the ministry. I've given them this for the encouragement of one another, for the edification of the saints. I've given you. And me, in the pews, I've given all of us all of these things that they may be my body to one another, my arms, my legs, that people may experience the love of God and the encouragement of God. See, he, God gave us the church that we may be a part of one another's lives and that we may be a part of one another's stories. That we may be encouraging one another when we are dealing with things in our life and we're dealing with those ministries that the Lord is birthing. When I look at the bay and why we came to the bay, the bay claims that, that this is self-proclamation that less than 3% of the bay claim to be uh, a f- personal followers of Jesus Christ. That makes the Bay in America a, a missions-filled. That means that that when we send people out in the world to be missionaries, that they may experience the love of God for people that are far from God, that, that while we're sending people out, that we need people to be sent here as well. That's what the bay, that's what that means, that number means. And so when we're looking at how in the world are we going to deal with this and how in the world are we going to deal with people less and less wanting to have anything to do with the church, it is not the church. We don't have to actually look very far. We don't have to be filled with dismay because God has given so much to the church. I wonder what this world will look like. I wonder what this mission field will look like if people will begin to press more into those, those burdens that the Lord has placed on their hearts. I wonder what this mission field will look like if people say that, listen, I'm going to go ahead and start that shelter to abuse women. I'm going to go ahead and start that program that talks to those that are coming out of prison and trying to transition back into regular society. I'm going to actually provide a framework for biblical uh, manhood and biblical womanhood. Lord, Lord, I'm going to stand in the gap and there's so many visions and so many ministries that the Lord has in this place and the Lord has in this part of the country I wonder what it would mean if we would press into that, and I wonder if that means that maybe we need to be a catalyst to those that we see you are gifted, you are able, I see you're burdened with it, and you have the resources, and if you don't have the resources, I'm going to try to get you the resources. See, we are a part of one another's story. When I first moved to the Bay, I moved into my neighborhood in the East Lake neighborhood. I love my neighbors. Uh, we have great neighbors uh, around us. And as I came in, people down the street, they're looking at us and saying, oh, man, we got a pastor that moved into this neighborhood. That's what's up. Oh, and look at that. He even dressed like us. Okay, he's one of us. <laughs> we high father and all this other stuff. Praise the Lord. We have a church that's for us. See, I stepped into a story that was here. And I realized that when they say that I'm starting a church that was for us, the the pronoun that they're referring to is is people that look like us and and live like we do and and, and from the culture that we are. And and it's to my surprise when they begin to see what I actually took seriously in Ephesians chapter 3, that high fives, the high fives and the praising, it stopped. Well, what do you mean? Preacher. See, we, we believe that the same way that you believe, and I can see that as I look around this church that you believe in Ephesians chapter three, the manifold wisdom of God, that, that the church is the manifold wisdom of God putting being put on display that the world and the societies and principalities and rulers in dark places may look at the church and say that this is what God is able to accomplish. It's the metaphor of wisdom of God, meaning that it's the bouquet of flowers. It is multicultural. It's crossing socioeconomic lines. It's crossing and breaking all types of barriers across gender lines. It's doing all types of things that's confounding the world. And they're saying that how in the world are you able to do this? And God says that, listen, I got that bad boy on display just so you can have that, that reaction. And so when they say that, listen, they, they, they don't know the text, but this is what they're experiencing. And they start to see who's coming in and out of my house. They start to see that we have Asian people coming in and out of my house A part of our team. We have white people coming in and out of our house. Black people coming in and out of our house. Uh, we have Latinos coming in and out of our house. We have all types of people coming in and out of our house. And immediately they're saying, that, hey, wait a minute, you're not for us. This is why it's so important for us to be a part of the story because I'm going to tell you right now, can I be real in this church today? Yeah, we can be real at Three Crosses. Praise the Lord. Yeah, pastors are not superhuman. We get discouraged. We say that, Lord, uh, is this the way that you want me to do it? And, and, and they're leaving and, and, and they don't want to be a part of this because it's, it's, I'm stepping into something that seems like I'm taking sides. But, Lord, you have your own side. You have your own realm, Lord, your own society. You see, I, I need someone who's going to be a part of my story that's going to be able to provide truth to me and provide direction to me. I'm so glad to be able to have a friend like Danny and friends like, like Three Crosses is able to say that, listen, I'm a part of your story. You're not here alone. We're going to lock arms with you. We're going to pray for you, brother. And you're, and you're not standing this thing alone. Yeah. And for the sake of the gospel that the kingdom of God may be advanced Throughout this part of the country and through the world, it says that, listen, I'm going to stand with you. See, the catalyst says that I'm going to stand with you. Listen, Esther, I know that this is going to be a very terrifying thing. Because you don't know that when you go there, if he's going to extend that scepter or not to say that I'm going to save your life. You have no idea what's going to happen. And sometimes it feels like you're stepping into the void. You're stepping into darkness, into the unknown. But I'm going to tell you right now that, that, that you're not alone. And I'm going to be praying to the God of heaven to be with you. And I'm going to provide you with counsel. I'm going to do whatever I can that you may understand that I'm a part of this story. But the beautiful thing that I see here when we look at Mordecai is that it's not just simply that he's a part of the story uh, in terms of Esther's story. And it's not just that he's just a part of the Jewish story, but he's a part of God's story when, when we' when the spirit gives gives to the church and when Jesus inaugurates the church and says that you will be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem all the way into the uttermost parts of the world that you will be my witnesses and i 'm going to sit in my spirit that he will comfort you and bring to mind all that I have taught you and that he 's going to actually be the one that's going to be that 's going to be responsible for providing you with spiritual energy for the task when he does that he, he, he does that not just so we can have Victories in our own personal lives, but he does that because God is doing something bigger. God is doing something a part of his story as this thing is winding down. And we call this eschatology as we're going towards the end, baby, as we're going towards the consummation of the kingdom, that God is actually doing something. And and listen, time is not circular. It is linear. It's going somewhere. He says that, that all of those thousands of conversations and courageous conversations that you have to have. The burdens that I place in your life, the, the catalyzing that you're going to do in order to encourage people and letting God use you, that all of that is feeding into my story and what I'm doing in the world. And he has no idea. What, what's the point of Esther? What where does it fit into the canon? Why is it even there? Esther, it reminds us not only of how God calls us to be courageous and take stand, and is, uh, but it reminds us, as daddy's been talking about for the last several weeks, of what God is faithful to do. Genesis 3 tells us that listen, there's so much brokenness in the world, so much sin in the world, the things that humans do to humans, the su- superficial ways that that we come up with to, to treat one another, it's just human sin. And it's because sin entered into the world, but God doesn't leave us in the sin. He leaves us with a promise as it pertains to how sin entered into the world. And He says that I'm going to reconcile all things to myself, I'm going to redeem all things, I'm going to restore all things, and it's going to come through the seed. Of woman And the seed is Jesus. And he's going to raise up the people of Israel that the seed may come through Israel. And we see it throughout the history of Israel. And right when the, the story is getting dark with the Babylonians and they were taken from their own home, the story is not over. And God is not going to allow it to be over. He raises up Persians and said, that, now go on in there and send them back home and give them some freedom. Well, when they, out of the frying pan, out of the fire and into the frying pan. They're with the Persians now, and then now they're at the brink of destruction again, and God is faithful to his promises and says that, listen, there is a seed that's going to come, and I'm going to protect this line, and I'm going to make sure that Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And what does he do? He protects the line, and God, the book of Esther tells us God's story is what he's doing in the world that Jesus may come 400 years later, that we may be sitting here 2,400 years later. Praising the Lord for how he has redeemed all things through himself, through the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus dying the death that we should have died. Jesus living the life that we should have lived, that we may have this righteousness that comes from God through the work of Jesus. What you're doing is a part of God's story. And what you're doing is necessary. And being a catalyst in the life of other people is necessary because it's a part of God's Story for the sake of the gospel. Let us continue to spur one another on. Let us continue to encourage one another. Let us continue to be catalysts for the sake of the gospel that people may experience the love of God, especially those
0: that are far from God. Let us continue to be catalysts. Let's pray.